Fasting just means to go without, but it doesn't say what you're going without. I think women absolutely should fast and it's important, but just doing it the way that works for men, it doesn't work the same for women. What I want women to know is that you don't have to fast the same amount every day. I've interviewed multiple experts who've all said, well, as long as you keep mTOR down and you keep insulin low, you're getting autophagy. At the end of this podcast, the body you have will be measurably different than it was at the beginning. I want to live so that I can die at a time and by a method of my choosing. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Friends, I am so excited about this episode. Dave Asprey is in the house. We brought him on for his new book about fasting. We dive deep into fasting, including some controversial thoughts surrounding fasting. And then we really do dive into all things biohacking. This episode, I am just so thrilled, so honored to bring it to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you think. The show notes for this episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash Dave Asprey. Those show notes will have a full transcript, so definitely check that out. There will also be an episode giveaway for this episode. For that, just join my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting plus Real Foods plus Life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something I love. Also, definitely follow me on Instagram. I'm posting more and more things there, doing a lot of giveaways. It's the place to be, even though it still really intimidates me, but I am trying. I am trying. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful conversation with none other than Dave Asprey. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly thrilled and excited about the conversation that I am about to have. I'm going to start this with a little personal story to give listeners an idea of why I am so incredibly excited. So as listeners know, I've been in the diet health sphere for quite a while now. I first went low carb around 2010, started doing intermittent fasting around 2011, cleaned up my diet with paleo around 2012. And one of the key drivers in cleaning up my diet was I read a book called The Bulletproof Diet. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And what's actually real, I was just thinking about this. So that was the first time that I really got exposed to the concept of inflammatory food potential. And now that's basically the lens of how I see all food. And so it's really weird to look back and think that there was a time that this was new to me. But I read that book. I remember I printed out the list, the chart of the foods that were like inflammatory and not inflammatory. And I made this whole collage that was Mulan themed and put it on my refrigerator and changed my diet and listened to Bulletproof Radio, became very obsessed with the whole biohacking world. I self-published a book. And when Dave Asprey launched the Bulletproof Coffee Shop in Santa Monica, because I was living in LA at the time, I remember I went on the day it opened with one of my best friends and I was determined to give you a copy of my self-published book, but you had already left. So I remember I gave it to somebody who worked there and I was like, please get this to Dave. And then I left and I thought someday 
someday I will connect with him and friends. That's what's happening right now. I'm here with Dave Asprey. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for being at the coffee shop on the opening day. Still running strong. Six years later, I'm opening one up in Victoria, BC, where I live in the middle of a pandemic. Exciting. Wow. (laughs) And that'll be the second one. So you have two? Yes. That is amazing. I'm pretty sure everybody's really familiar with you. But for those who are not, Dave Asprey is the founder and chairman of Bulletproof 360. If you guys know anything about Bulletproof Coffee, that's all coming from him. He is a three-time New York Times bestselling author. Four. Just hit it again last week with Fast This Way. Yeah. Congratulations. We have the same agent and the emails with the New York Times bestsellers. And I saw your name on there. It was very, very exciting. He's been on the media all over, Today Show, Fox, Nightline, CNN, everywhere. This man basically needs no introduction. But the topic of today's show is he did recently release, we just talked about it, Fast This Way. So Dave, thank you so much for being here. To start things off, I have so many questions for you, but could you tell listeners a little bit about your personal story, in particular, your experience for four days in a cave, which I remember you'd mentioned, I mean, I'd heard you mention it on multiple episodes for years and years and years, but it was really exciting to read Fast This Way and get a much deeper picture of that. So I was wondering if you could tell listeners a little bit about that experience, what drove you to do that, and then what drove you ultimately today to write Fast This Way? Well, I used to weigh 300 pounds and I had brain fog. This is before I was 30. I had arthritis in my knees when I was 14. I had, let's see, high risk of stroke and heart attack, major cognitive dysfunction and chronic fatigue syndrome. And pretty much my biology wasn't where I wanted it to be, but I was successful anyway in my career. So I figured out how to lose the weight. And this has been the genesis of the Bulletproof Diet and how to get my energy back and how to have more energy than I ever even knew was possible. But along the way, I thought, well, I know that I'm afraid of being hungry. And it's because I've been told if I don't eat six times a day, then I'll go into starvation mode and then I'll somehow gain weight. So that was an issue for me. And the bigger one, though, was that I knew that if I didn't eat all the time, that I would get hypoglybitchy. I would be mean to people when I was hungry. So uh, I said, well, how can I handle this? How about I hire a shaman who's going to drop me off in a cave in the middle of the desert, do um, basically a vision quest. But then if I'm by myself with no food and no people for four days, then I know I'm going to fast. And I know that if I get cranky, what am I going to do? Pound on the walls of a cave. So I went at it from a you know, spiritual growth. I'm curious about this. I don't know anything about it. But it was also kind of an abrupt way to try fasting. This was in 2008. And when I started writing the Bulletproof Diet content that you referenced earlier, in 2010 was my first blog post saying, you should try intermittent fasting. You can use Bulletproof Coffee during it. And there's good science behind that. And you know, lots of other, you know, getting rid of food toxins and things like that, that have all kind of blossomed into, you know, there's a whole diet category about just avoiding lectins and oxalates are coming up and all these different things. Uh, Even cyclical keto was kind of the center point of what I was, what I was focusing on. So this was before all that. And this was the first time I ever went days without food. And the fact that I could be full of energy after four days of that, like ridiculously full of energy, It was the final proof point to me that you just don't have to eat all the time in order to have energy. That was a flawed assumption. 
It's so incredible. So prior to the cave, what was the longest fast you had done? I'd never fasted. At all? Like none? Nope. Yeah. So I'm like, well, okay, fasting is scary. Right? And it is. It still is for most people. So I didn't want to do it because, you know, just the thought of it was a little bit repulsive. It's like, well, wait a minute. Everything I've ever been told is that I have to eat very regularly for all these dumb reasons that aren't real. But the bigger thing was like, you kind of turn into a monster when your metabolism doesn't work. You don't have enough energy to regulate your emotions. So you're going to just act like a jerk. And I've spent enough of my life doing that. I just really wasn't comfortable with the thought of not eating. I didn't know how to do it the way that I, I learned after that, you know, combining it with Bulletproof coffee and with all the stuff that's in the Bulletproof diet that's, you know, people have lost way more than a million pounds with all these techniques now. But at the time, fasting wasn't really a thing unless you were going to do it in a cave or an ashram or something. And now fasting is a thing, thankfully. I love the fear thing that you just tapped on. It's something you talk about all throughout the book, like the role of our mindset and our perception of everything. And something I often think about, especially with fear, is that sometimes it can be really scary to do something, but it's like if you do it once, that's almost to me the equivalent of doing it a thousand times because you just need to know that you can do it once and then it opens the door to the continuation of all of it. So I, whenever I tell myself that I'm like nervous about something, just do it once and then I will have done it a thousand times because I know that I can, which also ties into when I picked up Fastest Way, I was really curious like how it was going to tackle fasting because now fasting really is all the rage. It's everywhere. I mean, I'm, like I said, also the host of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. So we're talking about it all, all, all the time. But I think language is so important. And you even say in the book that language is one of our most powerful, quote, biohacks. And so what I loved about Fast This Way is that it really looked at the semantics of fasting and begged the question, what is fasting? Because I think we often get wrapped up in the scientific jargon and we want to know, oh, it's this amount of hours or it's time-restricted eating or this is fasting and this isn't. But you actually really ask the question from a, more of a philosophical and esoteric perspective. So I'm going to ask you that question. What is fasting? Fasting just means to go without, but it doesn't say what you're going without. And I talk about what I like to call hair shirt fasters. You know what a hair shirt is? I heard you talk about this on an interview. I didn't know what it was. No. <laughs> so a weird sect of monks centuries ago decided that they would weave shirts out of human hair because it was the itchiest possible shirt you could ever wear. And then they would wear that to increase their suffering so that they could be closer to God. Now... <laughs> I don't believe that suffering is required or even has particular benefits. Toughness is useful, but making yourself intentionally uncomfortable more so than is necessary to achieve what you want, well, that takes away from something else that you could have put energy into. You'll see people say, well, you can only have water because that's what mice had during a fast. No, look at the entire history of fasting throughout the ages. Most of the time, people are drinking tea. <laughs> They're drinking something. And then even from that perspective, well, there is such a thing as a dry fast. So, you know, what's a real fast? And the answer is you can fast from carbs. It's called the keto diet. You can fast from junk food. It's called eating healthier. You can fast from animal products if you want to and you want to get sick. And it's called the vegan diet. And 
I mean, there's all sorts of things you can fast from. You can fast from alcohol. You can fast from social media. You can do what's called a dopamine fast, which a friend of mine coined the term Cameron Seppa. And all of these are just simply saying, if my body thinks I need it, but I don't actually need it, you can train the body to be calm when it doesn't have it because the body thinks it needs things way before it actually does. This is why all of us at one time in our life have said to a friend, wow, I can't wait for lunch. I'm starving. <laughs> like, come on here. Number one, you can wait for lunch. And number two, you're not starving. It takes you probably 90 days to starve to death. You're nowhere near starving. You just have a craving. And if you had hunger instead of a craving, you would just say, it'd be nice to eat lunch, but I could wait. Okay. Question about the suffering. This is something that has haunted me for a while, ever since I read David Sinclair's Lifespan. And I had him on the show and he's amazing. Yeah. He's a friend. I like him. I love David. And he referenced a study in Lifespan talking about, I think it was mice on calorie restricted diets. And when they used a diet that suppressed satiety hormones, I think because it was high fiber, they didn't see the same beneficial effects as when the rats were not having those satiety hormones from the manipulated diet. And prior to that, prior to hearing that study, I was all on board with, oh, it's completely fine to not perceive hunger or cravings because you've hacked your biology to be fasting and not feel hungry and have all these benefits. But after hearing about that study, now I'm wondering if there is some sort of connection because we know that like sirtuins and all of these epigenetic changes that happen from fasting, it is because our body perceives a lack of nutrients. So do you have any thoughts on the dissonance between the, the cellular perception of energy fuel not being there and then our cognitive feeling that it's not there and then our appetite hormones like, can we have our cake and eat it too? Can we always be not hungry and fasted? The evidence is pretty strong that you can. And there are some nuances there. One of them is around your gut bacteria. So if you're doing a fast in order to change your gut bacteria, and even something like a carnivore diet, okay, you're starving out certain species. And when you're doing something like a, you know, a 20-day water-only medically supervised fast, no doubt you're doing something to your gut bacteria that's important. And there's room for that. However, I've interviewed multiple, multiple experts on autophagy who've all said, well, as long as you keep mTOR down and you keep insulin low, you're getting autophagy. And what I write in Fast This Way is, okay, there's three fasting hacks that do that. Right? And they do it in studies. So the fact that, you know, in a mouse study, when they fed rats a high fiber diet, it was high bulk fiber, not high soluble fiber. And why that did what it did, I don't exactly know. But it's pretty different than if you do one of the things I talk about in Fast This Way with prebiotic fiber. And when you do that, you're actually feeding good gut bacteria, the kind that are more present in thin people than heavy people. And you're not feeding the, the sugar eaters. So you're manipulating your gut bacteria differently. You don't have to do prebiotic fiber, though, to turn off hunger. It's just something that helps a lot of people. I'm particularly concerned about overfasting because I've seen after the Bulletproof Diet came out, a lot of people sort of read through all that and said, uh, keto. And then they turn into keto bros. If you have another carb, you're a bad person. And 
that actually breaks people and it does it reliably over time. That's why it's a cyclical keto diet when you read the full thing. And when I look at what's happening with fasting, we run into that, that same problem where, okay, mice did it this way, but what works for people who have a very different life and very different demands on their life? I would say that for the average metabolically less fit person, if they are going to say tomorrow morning, I am going to do a water fast until noon or two in the morning, they're going to melt down. They are going to be really hungry, really cranky, really distracted. It's going to be miserable. And they're not going to continue fasting because it's horrible. <laughs> and I would have been one of those when I was heavy. When you say, okay, black coffee, let's see, what does it do? Oh, it helps with sirtuins. Hmm. But it's not water. And it has polyphenols that feed bacteriodetes instead of firmicutes. Hmm, that's helpful. And if you add even small amounts of butter, the way I've been talking about for a long time, what that does, and this doesn't have to be 200 calories, people who are looking for a, a chance to criticize Bulletproof to make their mark will say, well, it's 400 calories. I'm like, no, guys, it's however much fat you want to put in your coffee based on your body weight and your energy demands. It's however many calories you want. But even a half a teaspoon of butter, I finally figured it out. I funded research at the University of Washington a few years ago. I wrote him just an open check for 50 grand and said, look at water chemistry and tell me what you find out. And Dr. Gerald Pollack, who's the guy behind Exclusions on Water, he came back and he said, this is really cool. It turns out that butter and MCT oil create the largest exclusion zone I've ever seen in water. And this is when water changes its viscosity level. And this happens in the body. You drink water. Your body basically holds the water near cell membranes, which are made out of little droplets of fat. And then it heats the water with 1200 nanometer infrared light, also known as body heat. And after a little while, the water is converted into the exclusions on water. And then that's the water that you use to make ATP and to fold proteins. And all the water inside the cell is in this state. Well, when you use a blender and a little bit of butter <laughs> to do that, magically, when you drink that water or coffee, as the case may be, or tea, whatever you like to do, you end up having water that the body can more easily use to do autophagy and to do any biological process. This is why the Tibetans blend their yak butter tea. They didn't have the science behind it, but they knew it worked better. So for fat burning, that really works. And having some ketones present well, there is no carbohydrate. There is no protein. In fact, what you're doing is you're putting, in fact, the liver doesn't even get involved in digesting MCTs. So what you're doing is exactly what happens on day three of a longer fast. Oh, there's ketones present and there's no other nutrients. Hmm. That looks an awful lot like the same as fasting to me. Yeah, that part of the book really blew my mind about the butter and the exclusions on water. I had, I had no idea. And I mentioned this before we started the call, but I'm currently doing a deuterium depletion protocol where I'm just drinking deuterium depleted water. I'm laughing at you. It's okay. <laughs> Openly. No, I, I tried that about five years ago. I actually talked to a guy at Oxford who invented a new way to do it. I went really deep down the deuterium hole. What you'll find is that it's probably number 20 on the list of things you could do. It, it's a very low priority unless you're dying of cancer and rich. And it's, it's one of those things that's almost impossible to avoid. And even when you do it, most people don't feel a strong difference. So the ROI on deuterium depletion is pretty low. 
It certainly has an effect. It's just not a massive effect. Did you test your levels before and after? I didn't. I just, I did it for a couple months uh, religiously and... Just drinking the depleted water? Yep. Didn't find... I mean, but you're talking thousands and thousands of dollars to do that. And of course, when you're eating more fat and, you know, controlling your carbs and all that stuff, that lowers deuterium. But it's one of those like rounding errors. And what there's, you know, one guy in particular who's sort of every year or two, he finds a new demon and, you know, scaremongers and writes extra complex content around it. And for a while, that was a thing I kept hearing from his followers. I'm like, come on, you know, like, let's look at this because you're missing potassium. You know about radioactive potassium? Do I know about radioactive potassium? Yeah. No. Okay. Have you heard of a banana equivalent dose of radiation? I have not. Okay. Well, if you take a Geiger counter and wave it over a banana, the Geiger counter will start ticking. (laughs) And if you land a small Cessna after crossing a border into the US, I live in Canada, by the way, so I've done this a lot. They come out with a Geiger detector and wave it over the airplane to see if you're a terrorist or something. And (laughs) if you have bananas with you, they will set off the detector. What's going on here is that, well, in addition to the radioactive deuterium thing that gets in the way of mitochondrial function in a very small way that is hackable by other mechanisms, something like PQQ, you also end up with these radioactive potassium molecules that are present everywhere and they're having a similar effect on the body. So if you were to really look at eliminating trace sources of free radicals from radioactive elements in the body, deuterium is just one of the two you'd want to look at. So I just, it's one of those things where you can chase perfection, but really eliminating glyphosate from your diet is probably a thousand times more important than deuterium depletion. The reason the deuterium came up was I interviewed Dr. Q Collins recently. The perspective that he gave was very much in line actually with what you just said. He knows that drinking deuterium depleted water can have a measurable effect on deuterium levels, but he knows practically it's not really the solution and that you can make massive changes probably even more so with diet, lifestyle, things like that. So I I really appreciated his perspective. I'm still doing the deuterium depletion protocol, but... It's a cool biohack. I tried it too. I, I didn't publicize it greatly because I'm like, I don't think this is worth you know worth it. But I, if all water was deuterium depleted and it added one cent per bottle or something, it'd probably be good for us. But it's like, it's so low on the priority list that like, let's fix our soil. Let's all eat grass-fed. Let's get rid of omega-6 oils. Let's get rid of corn syrup. Let's remove mycotoxins from our food supply. Let's remove synthetic estrogens. All of those are going to whack you long before deuterium will. Yeah, 100%. So something else you touched on, and I'm really glad you touched on it, was the idea of if you're taking in, quote, calories, well, no, actual calories. I don't know why, quote, calories. If you're taking in calories with MCT oil, but you're not affecting things like insulin or mTOR, then you know is that still the fasted state? And Again, on the Intermittent Fasting Podcast, we sort of have this clean fast idea. It's really my co-host, Jen Stevens. That's a big part of her approach to fasting is the, quote, clean fast. But I've always been of the perspective that if you're taking in compounds or things that are creating the epigenetic signaling that is created by fasting, I don't really see where the issue is. Because there are a lot of compounds that we take in that stimulate the same the same tertuins and the same effects that we would get from fasting. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of debate and it can get hostile at times about the clean fast and what is fasting. But it sounds like to make sure we're on the same page, 
if something is not affecting insulin or mTOR, was there any other factors that you think? Those are the two that are going to give you 90% of the benefits. The third one is around manipulation of gut bacteria. And just to be really clear, anytime someone is hostile in defending their unique view, we have crossed from curiosity and science, and we've crossed into the realm of religion and belief systems, right? So I'll tell you why I think what I think, but there is no reason to get emotional over this. And people who are getting emotional and hostile, and you see it so much in the low carb world, it's like, why are you guys fighting about this? You know, the fact that we disagree is fine. How about this? Be the proof. Actually do what you say and show yourself and show others that it works and let them try it. It's not that hard to try these different protocols for a little while. What I know from 10 years of working with hundreds of thousands of people on the Bulletproof Diet is people reliably lose weight without thinking about food on the Bulletproof Diet. I had a client lose 75 pounds in 75 days with a modified thing called the Rapid Fat Loss Protocol. And we know that it works. And you could argue and maybe even conduct some university studies that show, oh, there's some percentage different in, difference in one of the forms of autophagy. It's possible. However, I want millions of people who don't intermittent fast now to be able to do it tomorrow morning and have more energy than they did before. And I know that if they do it the way I'm talking about for six months or really two years, it takes two years to replace half the fat in your body. That's a half life of fat in your membranes. If you do that, you will have healthier cells that make more power than they did before. And then one day, whether it's three months or two years, I can't tell you, it depends on you, what you've been eating and how sick you've been and all that kind of stuff. You're going to wake up and say, I think I'll just have coffee this morning black because I just don't really, I just don't need the MCTs. But you'll probably add MCTs to the one meal a day you eat or wherever you end up. Me, let's see, it's one in the afternoon for me right now. I last ate yesterday at... Actually, I had dinner last night, which is kind of rare. I ate at five o'clock last night and I've had black coffee this morning, but tomorrow I'll probably have some butter and MCT in it, but I can take it or leave it just depending on how I feel that morning. And it's that they both work. It's okay. But when you're getting started out, there is no way that a 300 pound Dave who's 29 years old could possibly have shown up to work and been functional doing that. And this is the state of 80% of the country who are metabolically unfit. So it's totally okay to use training wheels on a fast. And then when you are an experienced faster to go, you know what? I slept like crap last night and I don't feel very good and my brain is foggy. I'm going to take this during my fast. I talk about the supplements you can take during fasting, including activated charcoal, which really helps. And on those mornings where your HRV is a bit low, add the butter in the MCT, right? You, it's not like you can you just right or wrong, it's a continuum, right? So I, I look at this as very practical and actionable and it's actually kind because you know, we can sit here as health influencers and people who've regained our health and I'm whatever, 10, 11% body fat and like I have all this energy and I'm like better than I've ever been. And I can say, yeah, just have water, you know, go for it. And I could do that, but I don't think that is what's gonna work for most of the world. Hi friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference. 
May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and Dry Farm Wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples, meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come... Definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. Hi friends. One of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. I did a lot of research on infrared saunas before deciding on them. Their saunas are so high quality, they're low EMF, and what I really love is they have a solo unit, that's what I have, and it's really great if you live in a small apartment, might be moving, it's just really an amazing investment, and they have incredible deals and offers on it right now. You can actually get up to $200 off with the code Melanie Avalon, or if you're talking to a rep, just tell them that I sent you, and like I said, that will be up to $200 off, and that will also get you you $99 shipping. Normally the shipping is like $600. So that's a really, really big deal. And if you do purchase a sauna, forward your proof of purchase to podcast at melanieavalon.com. And I will also send you a signed copy of my book, What, When, Why. If you'd like to learn more about the science of sauna, two resources. I interviewed the founder of Sunlighten, Connie Zach. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I also recently did an epic blog post all about the science of sauna We'll also put that in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. In my Facebook group, which is really where my my main community is, we have only a few rules. And one is be kind. And one is you have to be accepting to everybody's viewpoints because it just drives me crazy. People get so hostile and so, and they think they think there's like a right and wrong when maybe, maybe different things work for different people. So yeah, I kick people out if, if they're not kind. I'm like, this is my house. You come in here, you you crap on the rug in my living room. You don't get to come back here. And, and I don't have any guilt over it either. It's a matter of respecting and taking care of the people who are there to learn versus the people who are there to prove they're right. And also to that point, like recently there was that study. What was it? It was the one that came out recently where the fasting makes you lose muscle and makes you, it was it in JAMA. People were so scared that this study came out. and. I was just thinking that there's no reason to be scared about a study. 
Like, <laughs> like it's going to show information. And if the information quote validates what you are experiencing, then great. If it shows something else, there, there's no reason to have fear. That's just information. I feel very strongly about this. Curiosity is a great canceller of fear. So you look at that, go, hmm, what did they do? And I'm forgetting the guy's name who did the study, but he said, oh, I'm going to quit intermittent fasting. <laughs> well, there's some interesting stuff. So, okay, you look at, is, is maintaining muscle mass good? I don't even think it is. Because guess what happens when you lose muscle mass? You gain it back. And you get fresh, healthy, young cells made of good fats. So the idea that you're supposed to hold on to all the cells in your body, it's absurd. What you are is you're an eddy moving through a river of matter. Your body doesn't even exist. At the end of this podcast, the body you have will be measurably different, the composition of the cells themselves, than it was at the beginning. And so it's fine if muscle mass goes up and down a little bit. Only bodybuilders are saying, oh, we have to maintain muscle mass. They don't maintain muscle mass. They have a muscle mass that is continually replenished. And if it goes down and goes up a little bit, who cares as long as it goes back up? One of the fasting types that you talk about in the book is protein fasting. I still remember the first time I read about that because I think you mentioned it in the Bulletproof Diet. Yeah, it was in the Bulletproof Diet. Yeah. Could it be possible that a person could perpetually just recycle their own proteins forever? I know like L-arginine, I think is the one amino acid that is essential, essential to the point that you have to get it from diet. Like all the other amino acids, you could in theory recycle from yourself. I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about how long you could do that? Well, we have these people who claim to be breatharians and people doing extreme fasting. They tend to always lose muscle mass. And my experience with, maybe there is a breatharian. There's a few you know, people, they sat under a tree for 80 days or something with people watching them. Maybe that's real. But the vast majority of them, they're eating or drinking. They just don't know they're doing it. And the mitochondria take over. It's like, okay, we got you. And then there's no recollection that you did it, but there's a candy bar wrapper next to you. But it wasn't you. So I, I think there's some weird stuff that happens when you push things that hard. So we're going to assume that we don't have a proven breatharian that's measurable and you know all that sort of stuff. I'm sure there are things you can do to conserve proteins, but I don't know that we have any studies about how long you could do it. And there's no one who's going to you know, maintain a heavier than average muscle mass if they're just recycling their own protein. And even L-arginine is really interesting. I've talked about supplementing it. A study just came out actually just very recently, that showed actually pretty disturbing negative results from arginine supplementation. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, uh, this might not be something you want to amp up more than before. I've always been a fan of ornithine more than L-arginine because they have some similar effects. But you know, who would have thought? I did have some lingering questions about the gut bacteria fasting because I asked for questions from you and got a lot of them. And people did want to know more about taking fiber to support the gut bacteria in the fasted state. And one of the things you talk about in Fast This Way, which I was not aware of, that fasted gut bacteria released fasting-induced adipose factor. Does it matter a person's baseline state of gut bacteria? Because there's so much gut dysbiosis today. Do you think most people will respond favorably to supplementing this prebiotic fiber while fasting? Or does it sort of depend on what gut bacteria you have going on? down there. If you don't have SIBO, most people do respond favorably. One of the complaints that you've probably heard from some people when intermittent fasting or going on a lower carb diet is constipation. This will solve that problem. It also 
maintains and increases the number of species of gut bacteria. I use the formula that I talked about in the book. I tested it out really extensively when I was writing Superhuman, my big anti-aging book. And I quadrupled the number of species, not just the, the total volume, but the number of species of bacteria in my gut by feeding them soluble fiber. And there are hundreds of studies that show increases in longevity. And you'll see you know, some of the, the, the carnivore community. And just to be really clear on that, the carnivore diet, if you look at the Bulletproof Diet Roadmap, which has been downloaded probably like 10 million times at this point, it's sort of the summary of the Bulletproof Diet. There's a green zone. This is the Bulletproof Foods. If you were to eat a carnivore diet, you're in the green zone of the Bulletproof Diet. But what they find is you know, radical shifts in gut bacteria. And they say, well, this is probably more like it used to be. But most of the populations, like the Hadza and people like that, they're eating a lot of soluble fiber in addition to a lot of meat. So I would say the preponderance of evidence is that it's pretty good for you. We have no data that I've been able to find about the specific species that are making fasting-induced adipose factors, just science that hasn't been done yet. But we do know that gut bacteria in general make this. And for listeners who haven't read that, I mentioned Theof in the Bulletproof Diet as well. But your liver makes this thing that makes the body burn more fat and or store fat based on how much you eat, whether there's food present, et cetera, et cetera. But the gut bacteria amplify the signal. And it is my supposition that having healthier, more diverse, more abundant gut bacteria, basically more of the good guys, is likely to make that problem less of a problem. One thing that we do know is that fat people, and I just say fat people because I was one, and it's okay to, to be fat or to have been fat. It's just something that you want to work on. And fat people have more firmicutes and less bacteriodetes. And one of the neat things about fat is that fat is antimicrobial. It actually suppresses most types of bacteria in the gut. So when you're doing like a Bulletproof coffee or any of the you know, fat-only sort of things, you're basically clobbering your gut bacteria on the head. But if you have polyphenols present, that would be coffee <laughs> or tea. What happens is that there are a prebiotic for the bacteriodetes family. These are the ones that are more abundant in thin people than fat people. And since we have studies that say you can take gut bacteria and take them from fat mice or from fat people and put them in thin people and the thin people get obese and you can take thin people bacteria and put them in fat people and they get thinner. We know that changing that ratio really matters. So feed stuff that is clinically shown certain types of soluble fiber to increase the types of bacteria that you want present in the gut, even during a fast. And during the type of, during the time of the fast, when you're whacking your gut bacteria over the head with fat, you might as well feed the ones you want to grow afterwards. So if you put polyphenols and soluble fiber that feeds the good ones preferentially, what you're doing is you're creating a clean level playing field, but then you're feeding the guys you want to be present. And I think this is a less understood and less appreciated part of fasting, but you can use those tools during a fast. And this might even be why during traditional spiritual fasts, they're drinking tea. I think it's so huge. And then on the flip side of that with the gut bacteria, I often say that LPS is the bane of my existence. And that's something I love that you talk about is some of the symptoms that people might experience while fasting, negative symptoms could be from the release of LPS from gut bacteria dying. There's pretty much two big sources of it, aside from just blood sugar dysregulation. 
One of them is when you burn fat that's stored in your body, you're releasing enormous amounts of heavy metals and pesticides and all the stuff your body sequestered in fat. Anytime they do a fat biopsy, you find tons of this stuff in there. And one of my older blog posts about the rapid phallus protocol, the subtext was how to lose weight faster than you should. Because people who lose a lot of fat quickly get profound brain fog. And that is coming from basically mercury and other things, including mycotoxins and pesticides that hit the brain because they all enter circulation and the liver just can't clean them out. So this is why you have to do activated charcoal and support with glutathione if you're going to do something like that. And so that's one aspect of it. The other one is when gut bacteria are stressed, they follow the same algorithm of life that we follow. And the first thing you do when you're stressed is you run away from, kill, or hide from scary things, including starvation. So your gut bacteria are like, how do we kill scary things? We make lipopolysaccharides, LPS, because that basically is a signal to all other life forms around there. Hey, this is my food source. Get away. So they pump out more LPS, and then that causes systemic inflammation. It's shown to cross the blood-brain barrier, and then it creates inflammation in the brain. And then you get hangry and hypoglypitchy and cranky and foggy and all the stuff that was the definition of my life when I was heavy, the whole chronic fatigue syndrome side of things. And it's a relatively easy thing to handle. You take the activated charcoal and it's proven to stick to LPS. So if your gut bacteria are stressed because you're re-engineering the composition of what's in your gut when you do these practices, you're not going to feel the pain. Or you could say, I just had water. Activated charcoal is not water. Therefore, I'll just deal with it. Well, I don't want to just deal with it. I don't want to deal with, you know, writing something that matters or playing with my kids. And, you know, we all have enough stress. You don't need to add extra stress because you just chose a painful route of fasting. Bringing everything together. I've had Wim Hof on the show and I love him. I love the experiments he's done on his method and mindset and how the body literally responds to LPS because that's what they use in his experiments as the toxin response to with the immune system. And I love they found that your immune system can be modulated to be more anti-inflammatory based on basically your mindset, which is just incredible. <laughs> Another huge topic that you talk about in the book that people are very interested in is fasting for women. And you talk about your hesitancies surrounding fasting for women. Well, to start things off, I think the nuances about studies and rodents is probably something to keep in mind because rodents, for example, like fasting for a rodent, like a 24-hour fast, because oftentimes the studies will be a 24-hour fast in a rodent. That's often, I mean, that would be the equivalent of days in humans. So I think that's often not accounted for. And then you mentioned in the book about how rodents are, you know, popping out baby rodents <laughs> on a much faster timeline. So dietary changes are probably making a bigger effect. But what do you think are the dangers for fasting and women? Should we proceed with caution? No, women absolutely benefit from intermittent fasting. What I don't want to see happen is what I've seen so many times when someone reads the Bulletproof Diet and I get on the phone with a woman and she's like, you know, I've never felt better in my life. I started intermittent fasting and, you know, I've, I'm on the low carb side of things. I'm like, but in the book, don't I? Talk about carbohydrate refeeds and how at least once and probably twice a week you gotta have some carbs. And you can even just go low carb and do intermittent fasting and still be bulletproof, just don't eat toxic carbs. They go, yeah, but I felt so good. So then after usually six weeks for women on intermittent fasting, especially in combination with keto, but it can be from just keto or just intermittent fasting, 
they'll call and be like, Dave, my sleep isn't what it used to be. I wake up and I feel kind of hungover, like I didn't sleep. And this was before most people had an aura ring or access to good tech like that. And I did the same thing when I was field testing the Bulletproof Diet before I wrote the book. I did three months of you know, zero carbs whatsoever and it wrecked my sleep. I slept with a headband on that monitored my sleep back then. And like, what do you know? I'm waking up 12 times a night and I don't remember it, but uh, no wonder I feel like garbage in the morning. And it's funny, carbs fix it. So I'd have these conversations over and over. And then in the last couple of years, I've seen more women saying I'm intermittent fasting, but man, my sleep goes away. And then a couple of weeks later, you know, I'm having an irregular cycle that I didn't used to have. Hmm. And then I look back at the interviews I did with say Bree Schaff, who's a Olympic medalist. And she's, oh, I just went keto because it completely eliminated my cycle and it made my athletic performance highly predictable. <laughs> yeah, but eliminating your cycle might not be what you wanted to do nutritionally because that's a really stressed state for someone. And what I want women to know is that you don't have to fast the same amount every day. There's a new study with Dr. Murad out of Australia who looked at women doing intermittent fasting three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And they found that ketones rose over the course of the week and they were losing weight and they were getting metabolic benefits. So here's the thing. Don't do the same fast every single day. You do not have to do it. It's okay to do a 12-hour fast when you're menstruating. It's okay to do no fast when you're menstruating. And if you're a very experienced faster and it works for you and you feel better, then do it while you're menstruating. But it's this rigidness that doesn't respect the fertility cycles of women that gets women into trouble. And it's always sleep then hormones, then thinning hair. And it's so predictable and reliable. I don't want a world where everyone says, I tried it for a while and then I had these side effects, fasting doesn't work. And then we go back to eating you know, 12 meals a day of processed synthetic meat garbage. That's not where the world needs to go. 100%. You talked about the study with fasting and peptin and how it encouraged the release of estrogen and progesterone. Was that for all women or was that for postmenopausal women? only. Do you remember? I don't know in that particular study. I just don't remember from having read it. I found that really fascinating. There was this idea, a takeaway that I got was that that women were less likely to encounter the problems postmenopausal with fasting. It's true that postmenopause women tend to do really well with fasting, but not necessarily longer multi-day fasts, but intermittent fasting works really well. I just interviewed Margaret Paul on my show. She's 81 and she's been intermittent fasting for 59 years. <laughs> and she says, you know, when I was young, I would do four and five day fasts, you know, in the 60s and 70s. I just find as I age, intermittent fasting works every day. She says, I always have dinner by 545. And, you know, I, I do an intermittent fast for, I think hers was 16 hours if I remember right. But you should see her. She looks like she's 60. <laughs> completely different biology. There are, and she also eats a very clean diet. And we know that this works over time. What I want people to know is you can do it tomorrow and feel good. And perfection is not required. But overfasting is a danger. And it's a closer danger for women than it is for men. But I don't think women shouldn't fast. I think women absolutely should fast because it benefits them greatly to get their insulin under control. And it's important. But just doing it the way that works for men, it doesn't work the same for women. I think that's a wonderful message. And then circling back, because there were some other questions I wanted to ask about the MCT oil, the amount of time and hours I've spent reading scientific studies about like C8 versus C10, I'm just fascinated by it. Do you think C8 
is it capable at all of actually being stored as body fat? This question has haunted me. Like, I don't know if it actually can be. I do not believe so. I've never seen a study that says it can be, and it's not found in body fat assays that I've seen either. And if someone has a study otherwise, I'd love to see it. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think so. And it's funny because in the early days of MCT, these are actually the 80s, bodybuilders use it for a little while, and they always talked about getting you know obscene amounts of diarrhea from it, but they liked the energy. So when I started Bulletproof, I was trying to figure out, like, how do I solve that problem? Because this stuff is powerful, but disaster pants is a thing. And so I went out and I did a lot of research on the manufacture of MCT, kind of like I did with coffee. And what I ended up with was realizing that there are byproducts that are present when MCT is made, if it's not made in certain ways. And one is called C17. There's another one called C23. These are odd chain fatty acids that are really disturbing to the gut and small amounts of those are in there. And some of the MCT was actually being made on cosmetic machines that had you know, cosmetic ingredients still in them and things like that. So I tested a pure C8, which to my knowledge, no one had done. And I said, hmm, it's interesting. I can feel a difference from this one. It's actually stronger. And that was the one that I took to market because I knew it worked better. And then about five years later, Dr. Kinane at UC San Diego tested, and he actually used the Bulletproof brand of, of C8 for the study. And he found that it was four times more ketogenic than coconut oil and way more ketogenic than C10 and that C12, which is in a lot of MCT oil you can buy today. C12 is technically a medium chain. Unfortunately, it is metabolized like a long chain fat in the liver. I don't even think it should be legal to call it a medium chain. That, that was an old scientific thing where some, some guy just randomly said, I don't know if it's 12 or less, it's medium. And if it's you know less than six, it's short. But metabolically speaking, C10 elevates ketones, but not nearly as well as C8. And if you make either of those and you, you're not doing the triple distillation and filtering process that we do, you have a a higher chance of having the disaster pants side effects. I wish it was more known the difference between like C8, C10, coconut oil. Because I think so many people just think coconut oil and they think MCTs. Coconut oil is 5% brain octane. Like it's not even the same thing. And coconut oil, a tablespoon of that, puts you in as much ketosis as eight hours of sleeping. In other words, it doesn't do much at all. I am actually personally trying an experiment where I started adding because I can handle very high doses of MCT. And I probably started adding about 4,000 or 5,000 worth of calories every day just with C8. And I lost weight. I was doing it actually to try to gain weight because I thought it was easier to digest. And I was like, well, I'll just add you know thousands and thousands of calories of C8. And it had the complete opposite effect. The idea that energy will make you gain weight doesn't seem to be very accurate. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Something's going on there. Sounds like calories in, calories out is a scam, but hey, you know, that makes people so mad when you say that. I'm sorry, it just doesn't work. And there's another one of my favorite studies. I don't remember if I wrote this one up in Fast This Way, but in animal research, they take a little wax pellet that is made out of a concentrated mold toxin called xeralinone, and it's actually called xeranol. And ranchers buy it and they put it in an industrial cow's ear and it soaks in through the a high amount of blood flow that's there enters circulation in the cow. And then the cow gets fat on 30% less calories. Like if that drug can exist, calories in, calories out is completely blown up. And you, okay, maybe calories are useful 
as a way of thinking about things some of the time. But really, if that exists, this whole, you know, law of thermodynamics thing that, you know, usually young people who've been healthy their whole life will like to stand up and say, oh, it's all about calories, blah, 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 blah. But no one who's ever been fat and lost weight in a low calorie diet comes roaring back and all those things. Like we all know that that doesn't work. And it's, uh, we need to get that out of our consciousness. It's all about a lot more than energy. Do you think it ever will leave the popular consciousness? Oh, sure. It might not be in our lifetime, but it's bad, false advice and it doesn't work. And there's people like you and me talking about it. And when you see someone sitting next to you or better yet, someone on social media who you know, like a friend in a Facebook group or a family member, whoever, and they've been fat their whole life and suddenly in a year they're thin and they're better energy and better looking and happier. And you're like, what did you just do? And they're like, that's funny. I ate more or maybe ate the same amount, but I changed the composition of what I ate. It's getting out there. And this is why the Bulletproof Diet could grow over the last 10 years, why keto could grow, why intermittent fasting could grow. It used to take 30, 40 years for this kind of stuff to get out there. I mean, look at the Atkins diet. The Atkins diet was the first keto diet. I have one of the first editions of the Atkins diet. It came out the year I was born. And I keep it because if that information had been widely available when I was 16 or 19, it would have changed my life. But I'd never heard of it and most people hadn't. So they created a movement that took you know, 25 years to do. And now we have the power to do it in three years. Look at where intermittent fasting was three years ago. And you could say, well, yeah, Dave, 10 years ago, like you were talking about it, I was talking about it, but still it's relatively quickly now that things can emerge and we can just test it. And if you know a million people try it and we're all talking about it, it gets out there. And it, we just didn't have the speed of information dissemination that we do now. Yeah, especially with things like, like podcasts and all of everything. It's absolutely amazing. Actually, one of the first, I'm not proud to admit this, but speaking of calories in, calories out, probably the first crazy diet experiment I tried was I was doing research and I realized that basically the hardest thing to store as body fat was protein and alcohol. So I, <laughs> I was pretty much eating just meat and drinking wine and it worked really well. I will say not proud of it, not, not advertising that. It just speaks to there's a lot more than, than calories. Alcohol is interesting because your body will burn alcohol for energy because it's a toxin and it needs to get it out of there. So it'll burn that before it even burns ketones. So it definitely isn't going to get stored, but unfortunately, alcohol comes usually with sugar. And in the case of wine, you're getting higher levels of fermentation byproducts, things like overtoxin A, things like histamine or other biogenic amines. And those mess with your mitochondria. So over time, like, oh, look, I burn the alcohol. But then over time, you get problems either with organ systems or with cell membranes that are a result of the toxin load that's in there. So I'd say if you were to do wine and took some activated charcoal, which conveniently does stick to ochratoxin A, at least a pretty good amount, you might need to add some other stuff to it as well. And you ate your meat, you probably would have been better off. And then how you cook your meat matters and where the meat comes from matters. And those are variables that you just can't ignore. There's often a lot of debate about the, so grass-fed versus conventional meat, and to what extent does the animal's diet affect the actual meat? So like the toxins and the omega-3, omega-6 ratio, and if you're sensitive to soy, for example, and the animal ate soy, are you going to react to the meat? Where do you fall on that spectrum? 
There isn't a clear answer to that because it depends why you're sensitive to soy and how sensitive you are. So there is evidence that people with strong allergies to corn and soy will react to meat from corn and soy-fed animals, which makes sense because there's a small amount of it present. That's how biology works. But the bigger concern is that the fatty acid composition of grass-fed beef really is provably different than industrially raised meat, as well as the, I mentioned those added thousand times stronger xenoestrogens, there's glyphosate, there's antibiotic residues. And there's also something that no one talks about that's really important. Industrially raised, crowded animals eating that kind of diet form very high amounts of amyloid, which is hard for the body to clear. So when someone stands up and says, well, they're the same, what they did is they put on blinders and they removed all, either it didn't look or they removed a bunch of stuff that's in there. So then they can say, well, look at all these things that are the same, therefore it's the same. But when you look at the, the totality of it, not even accounting for the building of the soil, which is kind of important right now, grass-fed meat makes you feel different. It does have different fatty acids in it, and it is a much healthier food choice. I have not eaten an industrial animal in more than a decade. And the reason I did that is for a while there was like, oh, I'm at a restaurant, I'll just do whatever. But every time I do it, you feel different the next morning. It's not the same. Yeah. For listeners, I'll put a link in the show notes. I did an interview with Terry Cochran and we dived deep into the amyloid formation in conventional animals. And I think it's huge. A question I asked her and she didn't know the answer to, but I would love to hear your thoughts on, we know that the stressed crowding conditions of the animals creates these plaques or these amyloid proteins that are truncated and we can't digest them. Do you think because fish are at a lower consciousness level, maybe they don't perceive stress the same way and they might not be as susceptible to amyloid formations in their protein? Like, do you think the consciousness level, like, I wonder if since pig is really intelligent, if it would be more likely to have more of the amyloid uh, formation? I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I think the amyloid formation is more biological stress than cognitive stress, so to speak. I think though physical stress can come from other things as well. So you can have physical stress from a bad diet, from bad gut bacteria. So it's not just crowding that's causing amyloid. It's also any form of stress. So you don't want to eat highly stressed animals, especially animals that lived under stress for long periods of time. That's what's going on there. So I think it's a total stress. And I don't know of a study of amyloid levels in farmed salmon, but if I could bet, I bet you that it's higher than in wild caught. You shouldn't eat farmed salmon anyway. That stuff is bad. Speaking of salmon, omegas, omega-6s, polyunsaturated fats, I feel like that's the new thing for being seen as a huge, huge inflammatory potential in our body. And some people think it's like the only thing or like the main thing, where does it fall on your level of inflammatory potential? Like, are you at all a fan of PUFA depletion diets? The Bulletproof diet is a PUFA depleting diet. It was one of the big pillars of the Bulletproof diet 10 years ago when I first blogged it in 2014 when I published the book. It says minimize omega-6 oils. If you're going to eat them, eat them in whole form from refrigerated nuts or avocados, but not a lot. So I've been PUFA depleting for... 14 years now. And the recommendation in the Bulletproof Diet is eat at least half of your calories, of your fat calories from saturated fats. That's at least half. And the rest should be primarily monounsaturated. I've been doing that for a very long time and it works fantastically well for a whole variety of reasons. So I think it's very important. And it's doubly so if you're talking about eating 
fried stuff at restaurants where the oil is used over and over. So I've been talking actually for several years now on my show. If you have a choice between a plate of French fries and smoking a cigarette, you should say no to both. But if you were forced at gunpoint to do one, you should smoke the cigarette because, well, at least nicotine's anti-Alzheimer's and you only have 24 hours of inflammation from the cigarette, but you have 48 hours of worse inflammation from the fried stuff because of the omega-6s. I like to think I'm one of the early voices saying do that. And you look at how I formulated the Bulletproof Collagen Bars. I looked at how much fat can I get in there and how do I make sure it's got the right fatty acid profile. And I built the bars from the ground up to not have high levels of omega-6. Glad that we're on the same page. Yeah, that's something I think is so huge. And especially on the Intermittent Fasting Podcast, whenever we get any questions about not losing weight or, well, really not losing weight, I always try to just casually slip in there. You know, we might want to try minimizing the omega-6s. That's something that I hope becomes even more appreciated globally in the consciousness. I'm not allowed to say the name of the company yet, but I just made an investment in a company that I think is going to solve the problem. It's going to be hard to sell canola oil when there's a replacement that's stable, that's 25% the cost. Give it time. I'm so excited. Yay. <laughs> this is very exciting. Yeah, I know we're going to change the world that way. We're going to have a lot of a lot of land going, man, no one wants the corn and soy on this land. Maybe we could put grass on it. Oh, hey, there's an idea. Speaking of smoking, one thing I love that you talk about openly that a lot of people don't talk about very much is smart nicotine supplementation? I think I'm the guy who put that out in biohacking. Am I not? Probably. I don't know. Yeah. I did the first podcast with, I call him Dr. Nicotine from Vanderbilt University about five years ago and started talking about it as a cognitive enhancer. And it's in my superhuman book as an anti-aging supplement. We use you know, one to four milligrams a day starting in your forties to help stave off some of the cognitive decline that happens with age. Do you use a patch or do you chew nicotine gum? The cleanest source is Lucy, the nicotine gum. And that's just because Nicorette, all of the lozenges and lozenges and gums are full of neurotoxic gut bacteria, toxic sweeteners. It's, it's a major problem. So for me, I'll either use, there's a spray available in Europe and Canada. I live in Canada, so it's easy. The Nicorette makes that is relatively it has one of the least offensive artificial sweeteners in very low doses or i'll chew the the gum i don't generally use a patch i just i tried them maybe going back 10 years ago i tried patches i'd cut them in pieces and all and i find it hard to dose with patches i remember my very first podcast producer she calls me up one day she's like dave you know you told me about nicotine so I just put a patch on. I'm so happy. I'm doing so well. And she had bought a 25 milligram, the highest dose patch, and she left it on and she turned green and started throwing up. <laughs> you did that wrong. That happened to me. It did it. Okay. It's like low dose, low dose, guys. 100%. Like I hadn't thrown up since college and then I was like dying. And I was like, what is happening to me? I actually still use the patches, but I, I cut them very, very small. But yeah, I agree that it could be hard to dose though. I really want to try NMN or NR patches. Have you tried those? Of course. I try everything. Actually, I've just, I'm lying. I've actually tried NAD patches directly, not NR. There is some, some conversations out there that says NAD can't enter cells directly, but we have really good evidence that that's not how it works. And likely the reason that that, that data came out there had to do with one of the things they were doing in the lab 
that would have blocked uptake of NAD that was like a medium they used. I, I saw a paper on that a long time ago. But we know that when people do intravenous NAD, it turns hell in our cells. And we, I mean, you can see it from IM injections and from patches. So I've done all those. We actually do some of those at Upgrade Labs, my, my biohacking facility company. And people feel a big difference. Your best bet, though, for nicotinamide mononucleotide or riboside as an NAD precursor is actually to use it rectally, which is, you know, not as pleasant, but probably works 10 times better than a patch. Well, I feel like a lot of my listeners do coffee enemas and all this stuff, so maybe they'll, they'll be open to it. Well, the most important thing there is just make sure you cool the coffee off first, all right? Oh, and oh, wait, have you, <laughs> have you ever put butyrate in a coffee enema? Oh, that smells. <laughs> butyrate smells like feet. Like it's just bad. I take butyrate capsules I have for a lot of years and it's in butter. And, and there's several studies I, I cited, I think in the Bulletproof Diet, about the oral effects of butyrate being different than self-generated butyrate in the gut. So I like to make a lot because I take my prebiotic fiber quite often in my Bulletproof coffee. Other times I'll mix it in food or whatever, but I, I do 20 to 40 grams of soluble fiber a day, but not just any soluble fiber. I'm not talking whole grains and all that garbage. I'm talking, you know, tree sap that's been purified. That is the kind that feeds the gut bacteria you want. I never opened a capsule until I decided to do an enema with it. And I will never do that again. Just because of the smell? The smell. And it doesn't go away. I like could not make it go away. It's like cat pee in that it just, it, you can't get it out. Even if you hold butyric acid capsules in your hand, your hand smells like old cheese for a while. Once it's in your gut, it does really magic things. So I would prefer to swallow it if it was me. Okay, take it orally. Well, now I'm just dying to know because you are, I mean, like the king of biohacking. So your day-to-day life, what are all the things you're doing? Like, I feel like I'm doing all the things and I'm really crazy, but what are you doing day to day, every day? Like blue light blocking glasses, red light therapy, sauna, cold. Let, let's talk blue light blocking for a minute. So blue light blocking glasses are bad for you, hands down. Oh, okay. Here's why. During the day, if you wear blue blockers, you are getting none of the signal that your body needs to know it's daytime. So it's too much during the day. And if you wear blue blocking glasses at night, you're blocking one of the three spectrums that control the SCN, the timing system. That's why I started a company that would make the proper glasses. It's called True Dark, and it's actually patented. But there's three variables in light on top of the four frequencies of light that you have to control if you really want to sleep well from glasses. But wearing blue blockers during the day it's cutting off the strongest sig- the strongest single signal that you have for circadian timing is blue light. So you see me wearing my yellow glasses. They're true dark. They're blocking 75% blue, but they're allowing some through. So they're optical filters, not just blue blockers. So you see a bunch of these like acrylic framed made in China blue blockers. That's You're not doing it right. <laughs> that's like 1990s tech. Hi, friends. Okay, so I'm a little bit embarrassed because I've been talking for so long about red light and near-infrared therapy, which is so, so important. However, I kind of left out something really important about light. So as you guys know, I've been talking about red light and near-infrared for so long. And at the same time, during the day, I was using a bright, sad light 
So it's those white lights that help with waking you up, help with your circadian rhythm. They're used to combat mood issues and depression. So I have a really bright white one of those at my desk. A few things about that. I knew it helped wake me up and kept me stimulated, but I wasn't sure if it had any detrimental effects using it. And then two, I was also wondering if by just focusing on red and near-infrared light, was I somehow missing something in the full spectrum of light? Guess what? I was. And guess what? I found the solution. And guess what? I have a discount for you guys. So the founder of a company called Soulshine reached out to me and he was like, do you know about the importance of full spectrum light? And I was like, you know what? I've been wondering about this for quite a while. Please educate me. Oh my goodness. This man blew my mind. I talk a lot about the problems of blue light. That said, we evolved in natural full-spectrum sunlight that our genes are programmed to respond to. And today, we do not spend enough time in that light. A lot of us don't go outside, and we're overexposed to blue light. It's a problem. And then to make things even more problematic, the common sad lights that I was talking about that are bright white, they actually do not contain the full-spectrum light. They filter out certain wavelengths, and they're high in blue light. So just like I thought... It was not doing my health many services. There is only one company I have found, or I guess that found me, that makes a full spectrum white light device. So the Soul Light Systems include the fullest spectrum of visible and invisible near-infrared light with traces of UV light. Yep, that's right, because you need all of that as well. Don't worry, it's not an exuberant amount that's going to cause a problem. It's just a tiny little dose that your body actually needs. You can use these lights to fix your circadian rhythm and properly stimulate your brain's suprachiasmatic nucleus, or SCN, in a way that it was supposed to be stimulated. It's kind of like the natural spectral diet. Because yes, you may be suffering from malillumination. Did you know that your entire bloodstream actually filters through your eyes in a relatively short amount of time, that's the only way your blood is exposed to the outside world. So when we expose our eyes to this light, it actually can have beneficial effects on our blood. That is crazy. It helps with skin, with mood. This is the light that I wasn't thinking about that we need. I love Soulshine's light therapy devices. I do use it in combination with my red and near-infrared light devices as well so that I can fully bathe my body in the best light that is so helpful for my sleep, for my stress, for my metabolism, for my immunity, for my health, so many things. They have so many different device options. They have one that I love that kind of looks like a juve and I sit it on my desk and it has options for the full spectrum light, which is that bright white light, as well as an ear infrared option. So what I do is I do a session of the full spectrum light in the morning and then I run the near infrared to help counteract the negative blue light around me. They also have stands with bulbs that you can get. I've been using some of those on my plants. I am just so grateful that Ken at Soulshine found me because I was missing out on such a key aspect of light and I had no idea. And you can get 10% off at melanieavalon.com slash soulshine. That's S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code Melanie Avalon. So melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code Melanie Avalon for 10% off. It's really helped my mood, my energy, my sleep, so many things. I think you guys will love it. So again, go to melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get 10% off site-wide. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. Hi friends, I am so excited to tell you about something that I am obsessed with that can revolutionize your health 
help with stress levels, support longevity, and really help you when you go out and are having a bit of wine or drinks or all the things. And I'm going to tell you how to get $100 off. So I've been talking about the role of NAD in our health for so long. NAD stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It is a coenzyme that is involved in so many processes in our body, including energy production and DNA repair. And it is depleted by things like stress, aging, lack of sleep, alcohol, and of course, too much partying. In fact, a lot of researchers believe that declining NAD levels is one of the key factors in aging. That's why I have been really interested in boosting and supporting NAD levels, and I have tried all the things. You can take precursors to NAD called NR and NMN. I still take NMN. However, I am much more alert by directly giving your body NAD, and historically, the most common way to do that that is accessible to people was through NAD IVs and NAD shots. I actually never did an NAD IV for a few reasons. One, they are extraordinarily expensive. Two, I've been doing the shots, which I liked because they were easy to do. That said, they always made me feel a little bit unwell right afterwards. And I've heard that the IV makes a lot of people feel unwell. So if the shots were making me feel unwell and that was going into the muscle first as like, a barrier. I can't even imagine what putting it straight into my bloodstream would have done. Plus with the IVs, you have to sit there for potentially hours. So basically IVs were a no-go for me. So like I said, I was doing the shots, but I was like, I wish there was an easier way to do this. Then a company called Ion Layer reached out to me. Oh my goodness, friends. I am so obsessed. So they make transdermal NAD patches and they have studies showing that these patches actually boost your NAD levels. And what's so amazing is you put on a patch. It's super easy to put on. I have a video on my Instagram about how you do it. You basically get this patch thing with like a negative side and a positive side. You put saline on one side, you mix up the NAD with some sterile water and the NAD that they give you on the other side. Then you stick it to your arm or wherever you want to put it. You put a super cool black patch over it, kind of like how you put the patches over CGMs. And then what's amazing is there are no side effects. You don't feel unwell from it. And it lasts for 14 hours. And it's so easy. You can do it at home and then you can really decide when you want to do it. So with the shots, I was doing them once a week and I was trying to do them before going out with this patch. Now I put on the patch before going out and it makes me feel so good. It really helps the next day from any alcohol recovery that you may need. And they look pretty awesome with my outfits. Not going to lie. I am obsessed with these patches. I just want everybody to know about them and they are so much more affordable than the shots or the IVs. If you want to boost your NAD levels, support anti-aging, help with your stress, help with lack of sleep, and or optimize your partying. You need these patches, friends. And I'm so excited because working with the company has been amazing and they are giving you guys $100 off, which is incredible. So to get that discount, just go to melanieavalon.com slash ion layer. That's I-O-N-L-A-Y-E-R and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get $100 off your first order. I cannot recommend these enough. I'm going to use them for the unforeseeable future, probably for the rest of my life. It's literally just become part of my arsenal now. Like when I'm getting ready to go out, usually once a week, put on my NAD patch. And even if I don't go out that week, I still like to do one once weekly. Oh, PS, they're also amazing for traveling. You guys know I'm not a big traveler. I've been doing more traveling recently and I wear these on the plane there and back. Game changer. Although it's really fun at TSA, especially because I already opt out and don't go through the scanner 
thing. So they already are suspicious. And then they're like, what's that on your arm? And I'm like, it's NAD. And then they're like, what's that? And then I'm like, it's a coenzyme in your body that's involved in a lot of metabolic processes and energy production and DNA repair. And then they just look at me really weird, but it's fine. It's totally fine. So again, that's melanieavalon.com slash ion layer to get $100 off your ion layer kit. It comes with six patches, totally the way to go for boosting NAD levels. And I cannot recommend it enough. melanieavalon.com slash ion layer with the coupon code melanieavalon for $100 off. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order. So you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. So my daily blue light glass timeline is... I don't wear any in the morning and I actually use like a a daylight device that is really high lux. And then midday-ish when I'm looking at the computer or probably after midday, I put on clear ones that 
just. Yeah. The, those are common that those are like 40%. And we, we make those as well. They're, they might not be enough, but as long as you turn your, your screen brightness down, you're probably fine. And then you're not sitting under led lights, obviously like in an office building. Right. Okay. And then I transitioned to the yellow tinged ones. And then right before bed, I transitioned to the super red, like every day, rinse and repeat. You're doing it. You're doing it very well. Okay. I'll keep doing it then. <laughs> so what are the main biohacking things in your, your daily life? So I, I wake up, I do the a similar thing where I, I have 220 watts halogen bulbs that are, are mounted where they would be kind of at sunrise. So when I wake up, I turn those on. And like I said, high lux matters. The, the color of the light isn't that important. And I find halogen works very, very well for that. And I've tested a lot of different stuff. I think I find most of the you know intense blue light or green light LED devices in the morning, they do have a circadian effect, but I think they're bad for your eyes. So there, there's that. It depends on the morning, you know, whether I'm dropping my kids off at school or whatever the deal is. But I'll usually have uh, like a shot of espresso uh, made with uh, mold free beans, obviously. I'll take a handful of you know, nootropics, anti-aging supplements, a few liquid ones that I take, I'll put in the coffee. Then I do some basic like goal setting and some exercise things from Dr. Barry Morgulon, his energy for success stuff, which has been really powerful. This is a, he's, he was a surprisingly my, my most popular guest in 2018 on the show, even though a lot of people haven't heard of his work. He's the, the real life Dr. Strange, a UCLA surgeon from Kentucky who went to China and studied in remote monasteries where you know no white guy has ever been allowed and came back with some just incredible knowledge. So he's a, a dear friend and I've been using his meditation practices and that's been powerful. I will often stand on the Bulletproof Vibe for a little while and I basically pick a biohack. And, and this is something I think will be really helpful for you. It's that you might extend your life for a long period of time. <laughs> However, if you spend eight hours a day worrying about biohacking, you will end up being stressed and your life was longer, but most of the extra time was spent, you know, breathing something weird or, you know, in a cold shower. <laughs> so I basically set aside an hour where I'm going to do something and maybe it's an infrared sauna, right? Maybe I'm doing some additional red light therapy. Maybe I'll do cryotherapy. Maybe I'll do resistance bands with blood flow restriction you know, maybe I'll do electrical stimulation, maybe I'll do neurofeedback. But the deal is I'm going to spend some amount of time each day doing something like that. Then if I'm going to have a Bulletproof coffee that morning, I'll make the Bulletproof coffee then. Lately, um, I've had, a, because of the book launch for Fast This Way, I've had a, a pretty tight schedule, sometimes, you know, eight interviews in a day, as well as managing the teams at my multiple companies. So I've been really like cutting corners. So we have a new creamer. I finally, like after a long time of trying to get a coffee creamer that was right, it's got acacia gum, which is one of the, the most important prebiotic fibers and grass-fed butter and MCT, and that's it. So I'll put a scoop of that in and blend it, which saves me time from getting butter and pouring in brain octane. And uh, I'll do that. And if I have, actually not if I have, but I also have supplements then that are better taken with fat. I'll take those with that. And then I usually start work. So you put your quote biohack in the morning. I do. But throughout the day, like sometimes I'm standing, I have a wobble board here. Sometimes if I'm working on something that's compatible, I'll do PEMF at my desk. I'll do additional light therapy. One of the things 
that my glasses company that TrueDark makes, we have a light therapy that's got red, infrared, and amber. And amber has a really important biological effect that is kind of missing from the light therapy industry. So I use that because it affects capillaries and small blood vessels as well as collagen formation. So sometimes I'll put that over a part of my body while I'm working at my desk. But so much of my day is spent on Zoom. So you don't want to always be like blinking with red and yellow, but sometimes I'll do that. You know, sometimes I, I think I missed it. Sometimes I'll do hypoxic therapy in the morning, which is from Upgrade Labs because I have a whole Upgrade Labs at my house because I beta test everything before we roll it out in Beverly Hills and Santa Monica and soon in Victoria. Sometimes I'll do hyperbaric, but basically I, I pick something. Do you have a chamber at your house? Yeah, I've had one for 10 years. I actually haven't done that. If you did 40 sessions of hyperbaric relatively closely spaced, you know, 40 sessions over the course of a couple of months, it is profoundly anti-aging and most people have a head injury. And I know this because my neuro neuroscience facility, 40 years of Zen, we've had about a thousand people come through the vast majority of them electrically. Like, did you ever hear head? No. And you ask them, you know, five or 10 times and I'm like, oh yeah, when I was four, I was unconscious for two days. Yeah, that like you can see it electrically. So most people have just when they're you're a kid, you fall down, you hit your head, whatever. But hyperbaric will fix very old brain injuries. So this is, in fact, I interviewed Dr. Amen, who's a dear friend yesterday for my show. And it's like, this is one of the big things that's affecting millions of people, but they just don't, you know, they don't recognize that the way your personality is, the way your brain functions today is partly because of a hit to the head. Hyperbaric is the fix for that. I interviewed Dr. Harch about that on Bulletproof Radio a while back where we talked about that. I had Dr. Amen on the show and I did a brain spec scan and he definitely saw indications of some injuries in my brain. And then I've had Dr. Kirk Parsley on the show and he's recently been doing a lot of studies with hyperbaric oxygen stuff. And I've, I've just been thinking a lot about it. <laughs> like, I need to try this. It's totally worth it. I'm trying to think there's one other guy you should interview about. Oh, Dom D'Agostino. I think, yeah, Bulletproof Radio might've been the first show he went on. I mean, this was, he was one of my first like 20 guests. And I'm at 800 episodes. So he's been a, a really big researcher in hyperbaric plus keto. And I'm sure fasting well in hyperbaric would be even better. Okay, to-do list. And here's how to do it. And I think you and your listeners, and I've talked about this on Bulletproof Radio too, you can buy a chamber and use the chamber for a while and then sell it on Craigslist. Everybody wants a chamber and you can probably find one there, but they don't lose value very much if you've only used it for a little while. So look around for a used one if you can't find one, buy a new one and uh, sell it to someone and kind of pass it on. So that's cheaper than, you know, driving somewhere if you can find somewhere open and then finding a facility and then using it. There isn't strong evidence that you need a metal sided chamber, although the recent study in Israel where they found that hyperbaric length and telomere length, they did use a hard sided two atmosphere chamber. You can only get 1.4 atmospheres at home legally in the US, although some people change the valves in those out so you can get 1.5 or 1.6 atmospheres. That's not a legal modification to make. I don't know why anyone has the right to make a law about how pressurized your chamber at your own home can be. I don't think that's a valid law, but you're not supposed to change those out. Is there a danger there with the pressure, potentially? From going from 1.4 atmospheres to 1.5 or 1.6? No. <laughs> it's, it's pretty nominal. Never having used one, I can't even visualize like what the process is like. It's totally simple. You zip yourself up in a big tube and turn on a compressor. And soon the tube fills up like, a, it's like you're inside a balloon. Can it ever overpressurize? No, inside, inside the balloon, there's a valve. Like there's actually two of them in case one of them fails. And 
the valves, as soon as you hit a certain pressure, they start leaking air. So no matter how much air you pump in, the valves release it. So it stays constant at that pressure. And then you also pump in oxygen gas through a little tiny hose and you breathe the oxygen. So what's inside there is just air pressure. But it's interesting. When you're looking at biohacking, studies show that just having pressure, even without breathing the oxygen, has all kinds of benefits. And it comes down to mitochondrial physiology. Same reason that when you go to the bottom of a pool, it's good for you. It's that the added pressure on the body actually slightly shrinks mitochondria. So when you have electrons moving around millions of times a second and they have a smaller distance to travel, well, even if you shrink the distance very a very small amount, millions of times a second times a very small amount equals better mitochondrial electron transport. I'm going to try this. I feel like if I ever do have some crazy thing where I injure myself, like I really wanted to get a chest freezer for cold therapy and just sit in it. I was wondering if you could sit in it dry. That's what I would like to do. I don't know if that would still work. You don't really want to do that. No? No, because then you're going to get mostly cold that's from contact, which is really different because air doesn't carry it very well. I had a while back, so I I was also an early advocate of, of cold therapy before Wim burst on the scene. I think he was he was teaching it long before I was. But I went through various protocols around, you know, like freezing your face and cold showers and whatnot. But when I was really seriously doing it with ice baths on a regular basis, I was traveling. I went to New York and there was no bathtub in the hotel. Because hotels are great. There's an ice machine. So you just get all the ice you want. But I'm like, what do I do? Okay, so I took a bunch of Ziploc bags covered in ice or full of ice. And then I just put them all over like my chest, my abdomen, uh, you know, my upper arms, all the places you would do it. And I lay down on the bed and then I fell asleep because as you know, ice is really relaxing when you're used to it. And so I woke up an hour and a half later. I'm like, oh, that was colder than I thought. And, you know, and I dumped the ice and you know, went about my business. But I got first degree ice burns over 15% of my body. And I was inflamed. I had brain fog for like six weeks. I just felt like crap. And you know, that was not a good place to be. So ice on the skin, and if you're in a chest freezer like that, or you poke a hole for your head or something, you're going to get air that isn't that cold, and all the parts of you touching the freezer are going to get over-chilled. And I just, you need water in there. What I do now is I have a liquid nitrogen cryotherapy chamber because I like three minutes versus a longer ice bath. But I also have an ice bath that's digitally controlled. So it has a little separate chiller unit and you just dial in whatever you want and it has a little pump that pumps the cold air through, which is also better because circulating cold water chills you faster than still cold water. So if you wanted to, you know, be fancy about it, you can buy a smaller chest freezer and have water and you hack the thermostat in it. You have water with a little pump, like an aquarium pump kind of thing that pumps water out of that into a little tub. The tub I use for that is a $90 agricultural feed tub. It helps. I'm on a farm. So I just go to the farm store and buy those. I'm going to probably do something just like that. And then lastly, you had him on your show because I was researching to bring him on, but Sergey Young, we had a really nice conversation about the future of longevity science. What do you think is the future of biohacking? What are you excited about? Well, it's, it's really clear that there's a set of variables and these are the first infographic about biohacking when I was working to make this a thing. And I was like, what are the variables that that we have control over that the body listens to. The definition of biohacking is the art and science of changing the environment around you and inside of you so that you have full control of your own biology. So the external variables, you have temperature, you have pressure, you have light, right? And you have sound, 
you know, you have nutrients and things like that. And all of those things, we are getting better and better at figuring out what signals to run through those to get the body to do what we want. I had a chance to sit on a couch next to the researcher from Harvard who figured out that 40 hertz flickering light breaks up Alzheimer's plaque. Like, wow, isn't, isn't that amazing? You know, who, who would have thought that, that that could work? And people saying that can't be, but the results are very, very encouraging from that. So we're at the, ed, at the place where we are now able to figure out what manipulating light, manipulating sound, manipulating electromagnetic fields, companies like HAPB, what those do. And so we're going to get better and better at that. And it's encouraging because I use a clinical grade computer controlled pulse electromagnetic frequencies on the brain at 40 years of Zen is one of the modalities there. So you can really modify someone's state just by knowing what signals to play. And I think this is going to be a big, a big thing. The other thing that's happening is we're becoming more and more aware of what gut bacteria do. So most pharmaceutical drugs work because they hit the gut and then the gut changes them. <laughs> the bacteria change them and then they work. And one of the companies I just had on my podcast looked at pomegranate. Well, it turns out 60% of people don't have gut bacteria that can turn pomegranate into urolithin A, which is what gives it all of its magic powers. Well, now you can just make urolithin A and you can take that, which is pretty darn cool. So same thing, there's another compound called spermidine. I wrote about it in Superhuman. You couldn't buy it except as a $200 research chemical that smells like what it's named like. And now you can buy spermidine and it actually mimics an intermittent fast. So you can, I take it during my intermittent fast. So there's all these cool things where we're getting more and more dialed in. And the next step will be for us to be able to create what we want, small peptides and other compounds at home or to just get them for cheap. So there's huge research on peptides for manipulating things. I think the combination of light, magnetism, sound, and uh, electrical signals as well, playing you know, various electricity stuff over my brain, over my body has been a part of my practice for 25 years. All of those, we're finally getting enough data. And I think we're also right on the cusp of some major breakthroughs in neuroscience. There's a company called Kernel that now has the the very, very best brain scanning you could do. And it was created by a guy who put, I think it was like $80 million of his own money into just doing something that's never been done before. And that he's applying it purely just to be able to make better AI. But the stuff that I'm working on at 40 Years of Zen and stuff I've talked with other neuroscientists about, like we're on the cusp of cracking the code in the brain, as well as the cellular code that David Sinclair and I'll talk about. So I'm more encouraged than ever that we're going to be able to do this, but I'm more concerned than ever about the destruction of our soil, you know, replacing good fats with bad fats by these fake vegan foods that, oh, it tastes like bacon, but it slaps you in the face like eating junk food because that's what it is. So we've got to, got to turn the food tie back so that big food realizes that when they make food that's healthy for us, they make more money. And that when they make food that's bad for us, we won't eat it. And then we're going to fix everything. That's incredible. Would you want to live forever? I want to live so that I can die at a time and by a method of my choosing. That's a good answer. Well, this has been absolutely amazing. I know we kind of got off of the, the fasting conversation, but friends, you've got to get fast this way. It is an incredible book, incredible resource, really 
because there's a lot of fasting literature out there. There's a lot of discussion around fasting, but it really brings up a lot of things that I think people just aren't talking about. And it questions you. We didn't even talk about like the spiritual side to fasting. It dives deep into that. There's just so much in there. So I cannot recommend enough. The, the psychology is is the biggest thing that's in this book because it, it would have been really easy that the normal fasting book goes like that. Step one, don't eat for a while. Step two, it's good for you. Here's some studies. And then you argue vehemently for your studies. I didn't want to write that book because I feel like there's several good books out there and that wouldn't, you know, I, I don't want to be another me too book. So there is no other book on fasting like fast this way because it, it really will show you what's going on at the cellular level, but also at the decision-making levels and how you manage that. So it, it's, we've got, uh, for when people get the book, they get two weeks of training and how to do fasting, like a challenge. It's at fastthisway.com. You just sign up for it. And it's been really interesting to hear what people are saying because there's been hundreds of people saying, I've never fasted 24 hours in my life. I can't believe I just did it. And for, for your listeners, maybe most of them have already done it, but I promise there's I promise you there's some things that you probably haven't thought about in fasting and things you can do and things you might want to do and things you might want to shake up on occasion that will get you more out of it. And it's based on 10 plus years of intermittent fasting with a large community. Yeah, I took away so many new things from it. Actually, one of the very practical things that I've implemented since reading it, and it's not from the biological side of fasting, but you talk about a truth fast. You talk about removing the word I can't from your language, your vernacular for a day, and you question when we say I can't, rarely can we literally not. Like that word is often incorrect. It's always incorrect. Show me one time when can't is incorrect. Well, I was thinking about that. I was like, when can I literally can't? I don't know. I get in this argument, at least I used to with my son. He was like five or six. He'd be like, Daddy, I can't travel to the sun right now without a spacesuit and a rocket. And I just look at him and I'd say, sure you can. Just change the laws of physics. He goes, I don't know how to do that. I go, that's right. You don't know how to do it. That doesn't mean you can't. <laughs> that's why can't is always wrong. It just means you don't know how. And when you don't know how and you say you can't, you stop thinking about how to do it. Can't kills curiosity. Now my brain is just thinking. I'm trying to think of something I can't do that I guess, yep, so the point of that. <laughs> There's a lot of things where you don't have the resources and you don't know how to get them, right? Those are things that we know are possible. Like I can't start Tesla tomorrow if you wanted to do that, except if you had all of the money on the planet, you probably could, Right. So it's always a question of knowledge or resources. I can't not have done something I did. Well, let me unpack that. You can't, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. You can't not have done something. So that means you can have done something you did. I'm just canceling out all the negatives in there. Right. Oh, that's what I do too. Uh, but um, <laughs> if I did something, I can't not have done it. How do you know? Because I did it. I have two examples for you there. Part of the reset process that we do at 40 Years of Zen is actually going back and showing your biology that you didn't do something you did so that it'll stop being reactive to stupid stuff. And it's a, a tried and true technique called it's the reset process. But you still did it, right? You just taught your body to think it didn't. Right. So th that's one interpretation of it. The other one is, well, you've heard of the multiverse theory, right? We don't have any evidence that there isn't a timeline where you didn't not do what you didn't do however you said it. But in other words, what I'm saying is find a way. And do we know that you can't time travel? So I might have to exist in a different universe where I didn't do it. 
you you might choose to exist in a different universe because have to is also another weasel word. You might also just say, well, one way I could do it is I could just invent a time travel machine. And there you go. Right. So I don't think it's reasonable to create a time travel machine. I'm just saying we don't know you can't do it. So it's always a I don't know how to do it. And it's usually a it's not worth the trouble to figure out how or it would be too much work to figure out how. It doesn't mean you can't. It just means that no one has said, oh, the ROI on solving that problem is so high that I'm going to go solve it. And that's why I loved Fast This Way was the focus on another view of fasting and what it means and words and and the experience. And it's just very, very eye-opening. So I cannot thank you enough for your work. It is very much appreciated. That brings me to my last question that I ask every single guest on this podcast. And it's just because I realize more and more each day how important mindset is. So what is something that you're grateful for? Oh, wow. I do this with my kids every night. The, what are you grateful for? Here's a good one. I'm grateful that Bill Gates just stood up and said that everyone should eat synthetic meat because it has provided a platform for everyone to express how inappropriate and disgusting that idea is and how harmful to the environment it is. So he did that. And and at first, of course, you feel this like, what are you saying here? But then I'm like, oh, wait, I'm just going to talk about this. And, you know, 10,000 likes and thousands of comments later, you know what? There's a huge community of people who are standing up for the environment and standing up for human health and things that matter. So even when something that you think, well, that's terrible, I work on having a gratitude practice for things that I don't like because then I don't have to waste electrons on not liking them. I love it. Yeah, I think gratitude is so huge. I love the fact that you, like your brain cannot be in a state of gratitude and fear at the same time. So you can just turn off fear. It's the biggest and maybe the second cheapest biohack. Uh, fasting is also very cheap because you don't have to make breakfast. <laughs> but very high ROI on gratitude and fasting. Fasting and gratitude for the win. Well, thank you so much, Dave. This has been a dream. I've looked forward to this probably for like nine years. So this moment is absolutely incredible. Your book is amazing. I cannot recommend listeners check it out enough. Any other links you want to put out there for people to best follow your work? I would definitely check out Fast This Way. Do the fasting challenge and listen to Bulletproof Radio. And thanks for your nuanced questions. I can tell you're really you know, focusing on biohacking and using all these techniques. And don't fall into that trap of thinking you have to do every biohack every day. I did that for a while and it's you can't do it. So you're like, what's the right one for me to do now? And do that and be grateful for it and move on with life. 100%. I think I've already hit biohacking overwhelm. Like I often say that I can't wait till the day that I, I don't want to ever feel that I have to have like biohacking things to be in a good state of existence. I just wanted to see is something I can do that will bring nice things. It will indeed. It's a constant practice, just like meditation or sleep. But when you realize, you know what, I'm going to learn how to do the right thing for me right now. That's when you really nailed it. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Dave. Enjoy the rest of your evening and hopefully we can talk again in the future. Absolutely. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got this.